Good morning uh, for me in the United States and good evening or early evening for Kieran Yu, our next guest. You know him as Bill on Warrior, one of my truly favorite shows. I am not kidding. You know I keep talking about it and uh, I want to have everybody on so we can discuss the show. I want season three. We signed the petition. I want season three and four <laughs> and five and six and so on. So uh, please welcome to the program, Kieran Yu. Hello. Thank you very much. Oh, it's it's such a pleasure, and I'm inviting you right before uh, you know this season ends, right before Tent comes out in the United States tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so when Joanna and uh, and Perry are on next week, I'll be able to talk to them about it. But uh, with you, I I am you know I've trained myself over the last number of hours not to ask any questions about Ten because <laughs> I, I don't want to put you on a, in in a spot, and I don't want to know. I, I want to see it for myself. Of so, course. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's coming out. I know everybody's bummed uh, that uh, the season is ending, and mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen other than it's going to go on HBO Max, and hopefully it'll reach a wider audience, and you guys get uh, you know get to do it again. Yeah, yeah, that, that um, would be lovely. We'd love that. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of uh, the way that you know I'm making myself feel better by thinking of what happened with Cobra Kai. You know, Cobra Kai, I love the show as well. It, uh, you know, it came out, it did, you know, it did decently, uh, and it had uh, its own kind of um, audience that loved it on YouTube. But mm -hmm. then it blew up once Netflix uh, took it. So I don't, I don't know the history of, of Cobra Kai. So quickly, like, how long was it around on YouTube before they, they must have let it go before Netflix sweeped in? What happened there? Uh, I think it was about a couple of years almost uh, okay. before Netflix kind of took over. And then uh, Netflix, uh, yeah, I think they even approved uh, season three right away. Uh, right. I need to double check on, uh, on kind of the, mm -hmm. the steps, but it blew up. It was number one on, uh, on Netflix and it ran nine for, I, I, I think it was number one for weeks, if not months. So it was huge wow. and everybody blew up. Like in terms of interview requests, I just remember that. You know, you could talk to people uh, before Netflix. You could not get anybody on after Netflix. Wow! Uh, I I got a chance. To speak, I got a chance to speak to one of the actors on the show, wonderful Hannah Keppel, uh, who mm -hmm. plays Moon in Cobra Kai, and she was she was fantastic. But again, Netflix is you can't ask these questions. You can't ask these questions. You know, you can only go here. It's like it's very very specific. Uh, well, you can ask me whatever you like. I mean, I might not answer it, but you can ask me whatever you like. I mean, you know, this Excellent. is just my kitchen and, uh, you know, my team, they don't <laughs> yeah. care. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's uh, what, what I love about um, the, I'm going to call you the warrior family because you guys mm -hmm. really kind of act like a family. You're yeah. all really tight. And anytime I talk to, uh, to one of you, it's, it's that same feeling of we truly, truly, truly enjoyed making it and we became a family we're still in touch even though i think you came back from shooting in may so it's it's been i did while. yeah may last year may 2019 i came yeah. back and 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 a lot of the cast left and we we left the final um team to shoot episode six yeah it was the standalone that dustin nugent directed yep. and uh and we did the same in season one as well we all left and then they shot episode five which was the western standalone mm -hmm. which we all loved watching and we were again we were all sort of envious as castmates that we weren't get, we weren't allowed to be part of that one because we had so much fun and i think those two up until episode nine those seem to have been fan favorites but episode nine seems to have 
smashed that out of the water. Oh my god! Episode nine was intense. Uh, it's <laughs> it's 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 a it's a nonstop ride. I, I felt like I was uh, on some sort of a a ride where you strap yourself in and it just doesn't end. Uh, I I don't know. I don't remember taking a breath <laughs> from the beginning to the end. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's funny because by by the time we got the screeners, yeah, which I think was about in end of August or something. Mm -hmm. I genuinely forgotten what we filmed. And it mainly because um, the final four episodes, mm -hmm. the schedule and the budget that we had, such as it was, was that we had to shoot all four episodes at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you see seven, eight, nine, and 10. Yeah. We were all overlapping each other. Everyone was in all the time. All of the crew were just running between sets. We had... So we have two main sets which are, are doing, mm -hmm. normally two episodes get filmed at the same time and one director will do that. So we had two permanent crews, but then we also had a splinter crew, which was Brett Chan and his team doing the action, which in itself splintered too, because they also had to prep the next fights. Mm -hmm. So we sort of had, I mean, we said we did, they call it double banking, but I used to call it quadruple banking because there were at least four sets. There were really five. And, um, you know, I don't know if anyone's talked about Richard Sharkey, who was our line producer, who's a very experienced guy. He's made um, a lot of fantastic work. Um, him and Brad Calipay, um did an incredible job. And of course the production team, but, but they did an incredible job of scheduling and working it out. I don't really know how they did it. And everybody really needed a long holiday after it. I mean, I, I, watching it was, was such a pleasure for me because there's so much obviously I'm not involved in, yeah. but... I knew what it had taken to make the drama. And there are moments, you know, I, I saw a fan was like saying, oh, there's not as much action in this episode. That was a bit of a shame. I was like, dude, we, we just wait, just wait. <laughs> we couldn't fit any more in. There's no way we could have squeezed any more in. If we had a little more time, probably everybody would love to, but um, yeah, it was an incredible, incredible achievement. Yeah, and uh, it was it really took you on an emotional gamut, you know, with with Jacob. Uh, yeah, it's so so painful to watch uh, that whole thing. It was just it was traumatic, and then seeing everything develop mm -hmm. and watching this hurricane blow through. It, it was just mm -hmm. it was ridiculous. Uh, I, yeah. yeah. So, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. So, in relation to seeing that painful storyline of Jacob. Um, where did you feel, who did you feel was most responsible for the plight of Jacob? Like, who, who, did, you, who did you feel? Because so, people connect to different characters in the show and say, it's that person's fault, it's that, and I just want to know what you think. You know what? Um, so what I think, and, and again, there's a lot of discussion on, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's, that's what's great about it. It's subjective, so. What, what I personally feel is that the the um, God, I'm so sorry. I forgot the name of the uh, the actress who plays her beautifully, the Penelope sister. Uh, Sophie, I think Celine Bookends, yeah, who's a wonderful uh, Belgian actress. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. I really enjoyed her acting performance. Uh, yeah, but that her addition threw <laughs> everything uh, into into misalignment. You know, it, you can trace every step that she did that caused the mayor to be killed, 
caused the, the uh, um, you know, Jacob to be, uh, to be killed. Like yeah. he, you know, uh, and I thought it was brilliant writing because just that one, you know, cog in the wheel yeah. uh, set the whole thing. So if I, if I were to truly say who's responsible, it would be uh, her. Yeah. I, gosh, yeah. Do you think that's like the naivety of youth? Yeah, well, um, I, I don't feel like she's Machiavelli. I mean, she, I think she's no, yeah. What do you think? I, guess it's, I, I think she's, uh, I, I don't think she's a bad person. I think she, yeah. there is some uh, kind of rebellious uh, young nature uh, yeah. in her where she's trying to find herself, and then uh, we, as people, we get defensive uh, when, um, when things go against the way that we want them to go, and yes. sometimes we just throw caution into the wind, and yeah. that's what happens. And I thought. <laughs> It's, I'm, I'm literally, I'm going to make my kids watch it because I, I, Whoa, I how old are your kids? <laughs> so, uh, well, my son is, my son is 11 and my daughter is 15. So I, they, they're not too young. Parental guidance. <laughs> they're, they're not, well, yeah, there, there, there are some scenes that I'll have uh, some issues with, but, um, yeah. the scene, oh my God, the scene that the, the most heartbreaking scene for me, by yeah. the way, and uh, we talked about it on, on uh, your Instagram live was when it was Bill and Bill's uh, son had a uh, knife yeah. to his throat with a phone high. Yeah. That, oh my God, that gutted me. I knew something was happening. I didn't know. I didn't know if Lee was about to get killed and this was his <laughs> goodbye. I didn't know because as they were, and this is why the cinematography was so perfect because yeah. you knew that something awful is about to happen and you just didn't know why. Yeah. And when Lee walked out, I thought, okay, well, that's probably the last time we see Lee because something bad is about to happen. I yeah. had, I was not prepared at all for uh, Bill's son to almost get uh, get killed. That yeah. as a as a parent, as a parent of of, of a son, oh yeah. my God, that did a number with me, and I, I I don't remember if I could sleep well that night. Yeah, it's something that I um. I had a little taste of in season one when um, Jack Damon, the bounty, uh, the debt collector who works for the Fung Hai, comes mm-hmm. to my house. I walk in, episode, it's the beginning of episode six, I think, and I walk in my own front door, yeah. having been in an explosion, <laughs> and, and he's holding my baby daughter. And um, I remember talking about that with David Petrarca, the director, about how I might come into that scene and how I might react. Yeah. And I was just like, all I can see is a man has my baby. Uh-huh. And then ultimately when you get to the end of the episode and, and Dylan, uh, sorry, um, Leary says yeah. to me, you're going to have to deal with this bill. And, and Bill beats him to death. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Bill's not a well guy. He's got a lot of trauma. He's been through a lot prior to whatever goes on in the show. He's been a war veteran and he's been a cop for a long time. Yeah. And the, you know, the idea of once he starts, he can't, can, the rage and the lack of control and the fear of a guy who knows that the man that's holding his child yeah. could kill it. Yeah. I said, he can't, he can't cope with it. It's too much. And so the savagery of that last bit in episode six, it's very ugly. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying like playing it as an actor, I was like, I don't, he, he's not well no. and that broke him. So to have this moment where Ethan also gets put in um, danger in that way, um, 
we talked a lot about it because the way it was written, it was like I turn around and I freeze. Uh-huh. And we were talking logistically about <laughs> physically about the house and Lee coming up behind me. And how would it, how would it be that Lee would get in the house before me? Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> we were all having a debate about it. The, the stunt crew and everybody about, well, what, wouldn't you do this? And wouldn't you do that? And we we're like, well, you know, as you, you sort of think you know what you'd be able to do and you think you know what you'd be able to achieve, but, um, but Bill is so lucky that Lee comes back for his book and yeah. Bill is really lucky that Lee comes for dinner. But, but, but then again, I, I, you know, I was saying before that, um, Bill, when Bill tells the Fung Hai leader, uh, Zing to go off F himself, um, he knows that's a bad thing to do. He knows that's, he knows he's, he's banking on the, he's hoping that the weight of the Chinatown squad, the police force, his title is going to be enough that the Fung Hai are going to come after him. But really deep down, he knows it's not enough. And the first thing he does is he goes to the police station and invites Lee to dinner. Yeah. Oh, I missed that part. Okay. That makes sense. I, I mean, he, he's, he's got Lee coming round because he feels guilty about the fact he got beat up and now he's on drugs and he's a mess and he came in all chipper, wanted to tell the truth, a nice, clean, squeaky clean guy. And since he's been hanging out with Bill, he's gone down the toilet. And Bill does feel responsible, like he's a, he's a good guy. But Bill also is a guy who's trying to survive and manipulate. And yeah. he'd much rather have Lee sitting at his dinner table where he's not telling any of Bill's lies to anyone. Yeah. And, and also, um, it's another body that's going to protect his family. Yeah, it's it's a Bill's a complex character, and I I really really enjoyed him. And again, he's an intense guy. So mm. um, the first conversation from the Warrior family I had was with uh, Marie Elaine Alas, uh, who was wonderful. And I asked her about you, and I asked her about um, uh, you know the the my goodness Dean uh, who plays uh, Leary. And Dean is oh my god, you know the the character of Leary is ridiculously intense like mm. to the point where you look at in the in those eyes and you just want to say i am sorry i'm gonna <laughs> yeah so i i asked her about uh, you guys she's like no they're both you know teddy bears and uh, <laughs> and i, I was that's because like, we drug dean that's because we drug him we have, um, to, we have to keep a sandwich nearby just to calm him i'm joking of course he's lovely uh, yeah. i i don't know i mean i've watched some of uh, dean's uh you know uh lives and uh, I mean, he seems like he has uh, he has a bit of an edge uh, uh, to him as as you know a person. Where <clears throat> I don't know, I, I, I he's really a good don't. actor. No, he, um, yeah, he he does that intensity very well. I mean, that's what's called for him, and he can do that. Yeah. He can turn it on. Um, Dean actually comes from north of England, not mm-hmm. far from where I come from. Mm-hmm. It's really nice to hear a familiar accent, you know. And Dean's brothers and his mum came and hung out with us in Cape Town a bit as well. They're very close and he's a lovely guy, but I, I, yes, the intensity is, is quite present and actually doing scenes with Dean as Bill with him as Leary, that's yeah. really helpful. Cause Bill's made for me playing Bill. Like when he gives me that intensity, it's yeah. really great for me to like squirm around it or lie to it and like watch him and see what he does and like play with him. Because he will be intense, and I know he's going to bring that intensity, and he's going to try and intimidate me. And that's a tactic that Bill uses on other people, but he can't use it on Leary. Yep. And so for me, I love doing scenes with Dean. All my scenes with Dean were really fun. 
Uh, and for me, it was uh, again kind of doing my you know my prep. I knew I went uh, straight to your uh, demo reel, and, and I wanted to watch it. And the I mean, people, if you think you know uh, episode nine is intense, you need to watch uh, the demo reel of of Kieran's. The demo <laughs> reel, like you're playing really intense characters. There were a few that were not, but you mm. know, very often it's really intense uh, characters where like that four minute uh, uh, or, or so uh, demo reel, you know, I, I actually felt like, oh my God, this is, there is a lot of power and intensity in there as an actor. And the cool byproduct of that was me as an actor, because there are two things, right? You, you kind of understand who you are as an actor if you wanna work with somebody like that, or you yeah. don't. Because <laughs> you, do you think that you were, your acting chops are, are good enough in order to be in a scene with somebody or not? And when I walked away from watching that, I'm like, yeah, I want to be in a scene with Kieran because I want to <laughs> see what I can do during it. So it made me as an actor feel really good. But then I saw, you know, your, uh, your Instagram lives and I see how you are as a person and you're, you know, you're how kind of uh, Maria described you. You're a teddy bear. You're really... Um, <laughs> You're just, you're a nice, um, you know, kind of down to earth uh, guy. How, uh, and we'll come back to warrior guys, everybody. I, I have some questions that I know. But, Maybe I'm just axing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how, how do you uh, bring so much intensity? Because again, from what I've seen of you, which is you know, limited to two or whatever hours, you yeah. seem like a really kind of mellow uh, dude. Um, is it easy to bring out that intensity? Uh, is it hard? What, what do you find? I think uh, it's really, it's really easy at times, and other times it feels really hard. But it really helps having cra like crazy eyes. <laughs> you know, crazy eyes. Uh, I, I've watched an awful lot of films. I've watched an awful lot of TV. I come from a really fantastic, supportive family who just did loads of sport and I have had a really, really fantastic mm. um, life. Um, so I can't say that any intensity that I put into my acting has necessarily come from, you know, a dark place or anything. My, I've had some pretty intense things happen to me in my life. You know, I've had, I'm a human being and I feel quite a lot. I think a lot of actors um, or people that gravitate towards acting mm. have, have very, um, People might say they are sensitive or melodramatic or, or, or over-emotional. I, I mean, my dad said to me, maybe, maybe your talent is that you feel things in an extreme way mm. and then being able to channel that into doing a job. Maybe that's why you, are, you can do good at that job and you can do that job. Um, of course, I have, I have all the self-doubt of every other actor where I constantly think, oh, God, I'm not sure I can do it at all. Um, and that's just a a sort of a distracting kind of mental sort of thing that seems to have to happen to almost everybody. I, I, I spoke to an old actor years ago about self-doubt mm -hmm. and in playing certain things and the challenge of playing certain things. And, and they just said to me, look, uh, these, are the, these are old, old British actors who've all got these ridiculous voices. And I remember saying to them, when do we get our voices? When do we turn into like old hounds yeah. from the theatre? Like guys that had worked with Laurence Olivier and the greats, like the saying to them, like, does, what do I do about this? And they said, all the really good people I know have it, had it, 
struggle with it. It's part of being an actor and, and that's what's there. So um, intensity or whatever you're seeing that you say is intense, I think it's just commitment to, to, to what's being asked of in the script. And, and honestly, I, I fight to make everything as natural as possible. And if you've got really extreme things to do, that's really hard. I, I did a play years ago. I did Richard II years ago at the Old Vic, and I played Exton, who is a murderer who murders Richard. And he, ha he, has, he murders Richard, and then he has this a, a couplet where he talks about regretting the thing he's done. And um, I said to this really old actor, Peter Eyre, I said, I feel really fake when I'm doing this because it's, it's this big declaiming moment just as he's murdered him. Mm -hmm. And the play's about Richard. It's not about the guy accidentally murdered him, but he has this moment of doubt. And um, he just said, it's a big idea, isn't it? It's a big idea. Mm -hmm. He said, you've just got to commit to it. Mm -hmm. Just got to commit to it. And I... Again, that felt vague, but it also felt supportive. And I don't know. All the stuff that you're referring to, um, I have to say it was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, Roundabout answer, sorry. No, no, no. It's, that's, the, that's the reality, right? That's the truthful answer. And that's what I, uh, that's what I want. Um, yeah. Yeah, self self doubt. I heard you talking about auditions, and that's kind of the way that I I, I view auditions as well. It's yeah. not the rejection; it's that void from which you never hear anything. Yes, uh, yes. Um, there was a push, like in the last year or so, year and a half, for casting directors to get back to actors. There was a sort of thing on social media saying, you know, yeah. would could could people commit to it? And certain a casting director did so say, we're going to commit to giving you a yes or a no, or at least a feedback or anything. Over the years, I've been an actor and I started auditioning in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I started working in 2001. Since then to now, it, the, the amount of time you have to prep has completely shrunk. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the self-taping didn't exist then. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's a huge different thing. That's a huge strain on your personal life and your family because it's normally people people's wives or partners or family members who are reading in with you. It's not like a friend who's an actor, particularly in lockdown. Yeah. You know, my daughter, my daughter. <laughs> um, and, and uh, God, I, I have, I have developed a certain amount of thick skin mm -hmm. and a certain amount of knowledge about when I do something, I try and prepare for the, this is including going in a room, prepare to enjoy the audition for when I'm doing it. Just what it is, because that might be the only. It's it's more probable that that will be the only time I get to play the, this character than not. You're more, you're not going to get most jobs you go for. Yep. So at least try and enjoy it. Everyone's going to feel nervous. Everybody feels nervous. Just try and have fun if you can. Just try and enjoy it, um, and 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 then try and have something to do afterwards and and move away from it gently. But you know what? Every six months or every nine months or a year, I have one that I get feel it feels really painful that I don't get. And 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 for me, when I get something coming in, I instantly get excited and I start working. Mm -hmm. And then and then I'm always slightly slightly frightened. I'm going to fall in love with it and I'm not going to get to do it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, it, and as for casting directors getting back to us, they are very, very, very busy too. And, and, and I, I understand completely for them why it's, it's an overwhelming thing to get back to actors. I don't really know what the solution is to, to the audition kind of void. I mean, I joke about it and say it's like a black well that you throw things into and then you, you wait to listen and yeah. you feel like you're losing yourself into it. But that's, that's our thing to take care of, you know, I think, yeah. I think. Um, the only thing that I can think of is that uh, because, and oftentimes it's not really the casting directors that are even watching your audition, it's the associates. Uh, yeah. you know, and you, maybe, maybe, I, I would say maybe to that. And, and the reason I would say that is because you, you might be right and you yeah. might have information I don't have. But sitting alone in my kitchen, when I send that tape in, I've got no idea. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it, it might, for, my, for my mental health and my own sake. Because sometimes I've sent the tape in and I'll send it in on whatever platform. And sometimes people watch it and you can, you can actually check and you can see the views ticking around. And like, oh my God, they watched it three times. They watched it six times. They watched it 20 times. Sometimes they don't. They download it. And you have no idea how many times they watch it or who watches it. And it, it, it can drive you mad if you, if yeah. you, you know... Um, Sorry. But for us, uh, I, again, uh, you're in the UK, so it may be different. But for us, right. Actors Access uh, is, is a lot of what we do. And on Actors Access, you just submit uh, via the Ecocast. You okay. have no way of checking how many times it's right. viewed, who did right. it. So it's just, it's one of those things. And they specifically yeah. tell us, don't put any auditions on, on Vimeo. Don't put it on YouTube. Oh, okay, YouTube okay. Private, don't yeah. put it. Uh, right. Especially kind of the bigger shows where yeah. you're getting the sides with your name on it. Uh, they specifically tell you, you know, don't send yeah. it to anyone. It, it needs to be just uploaded to Ecocast and yeah. then you're done. <laughs> Password protected multiple times. Yep. yep. NDAs and all that. Yeah. It's, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's yeah. awful. I, but it's all exciting. That's the thing. I, I try not to allow all the other things around just, just to doing the acting. Like yeah. almost everything. Where it's filmed, the job whatever you think the, the, the cast might be or the money or anything like that. Um, yeah. I, try to, I try to separate it and just go, I'm going to have fun. Because otherwise, it can really chew, chew me up. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it in 20 years and it's still like a, a sort of weird, painful Tai Chi exercise or something. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I remember I was auditioning for, this is yeah, kind of the, my biggest audition uh, before the one that I just had for another big show. I can tell you off here. But, um, so I had an audition for a show. I did not get it. But I, it was a, a recurring guest star on an HBO uh, series yeah. with Ethan Hawke. And uh -huh. uh, I'm, I'm doing the audition and I'm kind of, <clears throat> I'm getting into the character and I go, you know, uh, into a different place. I dress uh, the part. I kind of, you know, I do my work that makes me feel uh, the most uh, as the character. Mm -hmm. and then I submit it. And then mm -hmm. it hits me saying, you understand that if you get this, um, you haven't even gotten co-star roles yet. And you're about to maybe get a recurring guest star on an HBO series where you're going to be acting with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, Are you yeah. good enough? And like all of these doubts yeah, and yeah. all of these things, like there's a part of you that's exceptionally excited because mm -hmm. that can be a huge thing for your career. There is a part of you that wonders if you're good enough as an actor to be in a guest star role with Ethan mm -hmm. Hawke. There is another part that's excited about being in a scene with Ethan Hawke acting mm -hmm. like all of that stuff. And I just, mm -hmm. uh, I, after a while I had to put it away and say, mm -hmm. okay, if it happens, I'll deal with it then. I, I can't, I can't, 
spend my energy on, on <laughs> all this stuff. It's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's tiring. It's tiring. It is. It is. Um, you mentioned uh, sports and that's, and that's another thing that I, I found uh, really cool about you is that your first sport and my first sport are the same. Uh, oh, you, really? Yeah. I, I, we, we did uh, different. I did uh, uh, fencing when I was a kid. That was my first sport. Same with yeah. you. Now yeah. I did uh, rapier. So uh, that, that was mine. Uh, you did the uh, epi, right? Uh, epi? I was an epiist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. That's uh, that was my first love. You, you, I don't know why you got into fencing. I got into fencing. I remember distinctly why I got into fencing, uh, or specifically, I got into fencing because I watched Three Musketeers, yeah. and I said I want to do that. I want to be a D'Artagnan. And then the yeah. fencing coach came by my school, and that was it. Then <laughs> that was my. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my family were all swimmers. Okay. So as a kid, um, we would train for well every single night after school mm. um i started fencing when i was nine but by then i'd already been a swimmer for like i don't know i i think i started when i was two just in basic classes but because my older siblings all went yeah. I, I'd, I'd have to check with my parents but like we 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 were just always in a swimming pool always at a gala mm. always training always thinking of chlorine I mean, the chlorine in the pool dyed my hair blonde. I had blonde hair as a kid and like dark roots, which was apparently very fashionable at the time, but it wasn't actually a hair style. It was because I was spending all my time in over-chlorinated pools. But um, I started fencing because I, I switched schools when I was about nine and I was in a class and some of the kids had said, some of the lads in the class who I was making new friends with said, oh, we're going to go fencing. We're going to go to this new fencing club in town. So um, I, I sort of said, look, we could be like the three musketeers because yeah. sort of, well we went along and they didn't come back and i stayed and um i had this obsession with um just i mean it wasn't really it was sort of any kind of sword thing <laughs> and it particularly the three musketeers with oliver reed I, I got, you know, there's a moment when he gets his um, cape caught in this wheel, you know, mm. and it's really, really dark and macabre. And I, I, that bit really, obviously kind of resonated with me as a really dark, brooding movie moment. And it is a very dark moment in the movie. And there's a really comic moment straight after where some people jump out of a tree. But it, I, it, it had actually seared on me, actually, as a kid. Hmm. I used to think about that quite a lot. Is that so, trauma? I don't know. I think it's enjoying a movie. But um, <laughs> I, I went fencing anyway. I was quite good at it and I stuck it out and my dad encouraged me and kept me going. And before I knew it, I was... I, I, because I competed in swimming, I, I knew that when I fenced in fencing, I, I, got, I started winning medals and, and I won the Northeast region, I think was like the, the first or second competition I ever did. And I knew how big from swimming that was and how hard it was in swimming and I guess I was like well it's fencing then <laughs> and then um, I went to school I remember going to school and lying to the kids at school and being like yeah we did like bed sheet sword fighting and we, we fought with two swords and that was a rubbish that was just what I wanted to do so actually eventually I did I went to Lambda to drama school in London for three years and I learned mm -hmm. to learn to fight with bed sheets and swords and whips mm -hmm. and axes and chains and poles and 
anything. We used to we used to choreograph fights, you know, for all kinds of plays and mm. as you and you get taught. And actually, that's probably when I got one of my best acting lessons, which was our our coach uh, teacher Jonathan Waller. He used to have this phrase: "You say you got to sell the illusion. You got to sell the illusion." you know, wherever the hit is and you've got to hide the nap and the technicality. That, that all translates, people say it doesn't translate to film and TV. Of course it does. It translates to where the camera is and pulling or, you know, a punch in any kind of action, not just, mm-hmm. not just high-end kung fu. In our, like in our show, I've done tons of stuff where just selling the illusion and understanding proximity to your audience mm-hmm. is so important. And, and actually, um, yeah, so the sports stuff really, really helped. It really helped. <laughs> and uh, going before we jump into warrior again. So uh, in swimming, what was your what's your favorite stroke? Uh, I used to change quite a lot. I used to quite like backstroke. Um, okay. um, but um, as I was just as I was sort of getting stronger in my teen years and getting better and, and really starting to develop, uh, butterfly was becoming because it's so much fun. It's just that it's so aerobic and tough. But we, I mean, I think about it now. We used to do thousand meter warm ups when we were kids. That was our warm up, and 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 that was normal. That was just normal. That was every night, you know, as you do competitive swimmers. Anybody who's a competitive swimmer would be like, yep, yep, yep. Um, and now I, I probably couldn't do half of that. <laughs> Um, my my dad uh, always swam butterfly. Yeah, you know, he he's a ex Navy guy and uh, he loves butterfly. And mm-hmm. as a kid, I tried butterfly. I I couldn't do it. Yeah. And then I literally I had this mental block in my head that I cannot do butterfly. And it wasn't until maybe ten years ago, uh, I was thirty five in a pool with my kids, where I just wanted to try butterfly. And apparently, I'm really good at butterfly. I'm like, right. I just wasted, you know, 20 <laughs> years not swimming the stroke that I'm actually good at. So it's really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. It, uh, that's, <laughs> my, my, my best stroke is breaststroke, but butterfly is my favorite. By far. Right. Uh, and then out of the three musketeers, you know, uh, who's, uh, who's your favorite? Who did you want to be? Um, uh, I actually wanted to be Aramis. Um, but you know, I've, uh, there've been bunches of like three musketeer auditions and things coming around over the years mm. in London. I've never been for it. I've never, ever gone for it. It's never came up. Yeah. It, well, you know, you, you, sometimes you're not available. Sometimes you're doing something as gets cast and, and, and then that opportunity has gone. And, and also, uh, it's, it wasn't, you know, that was, that was just what I did as a kid. And then it didn't totally define. Yeah what happened afterwards. Although I did get a job when I was at drama school, I got a job choreographing the fights for Hamlet for Mark Rylance, who was doing Hamlet at the Globe. And Mark had done Hamlet. He was one of the youngest people to do Hamlet at the RSC. Mm-hmm. And he'd done it with an actor called Alexis Denisov. Mm-hmm. And they choreographed it and he wanted to sort of reproduce that fight. So I got an old videotape of their Hamlet and watched it. And he asked me if I could write down whatever choreography choreography I could find and then re-choreograph the fight around that idea. So I did that. So when I was 19, I got to sit and watch Mark Rylance rehearse Hamlet at the Globe, wow. as well as training at Lambda. I'd leave Lambda classes and go and teach Mark Rylance and Mark Lockyer, who played Laertes, uh, the fight. Um, 
and, and Mark said, you can sit and watch rehearsals if you like. So I watched Mark. Yeah. So I saw him play Hamlet. I don't even know how many times. Uh, it was very good. It was very helpful. <laughs> He's a very Mark, nice man. Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies, um, um, the first whatever minute something on the screen, yeah. I was in the movie theater. I turned to my, uh, I, I think I was with my wife. I was watching. I said, if Mark doesn't win an Oscar for this, I do not know acting. Uh, yeah. It was just breathtaking. Uh, that's like, that's the level that I'll always aspire to, uh, to get to and probably never will. But that's yeah. so he has a, he has a real talent. I mean, I, I saw him play Cleopatra at the Globe, the first thing I ever saw him do. And he, he made the, he makes the globe, which is obviously open air theater. He makes it feel totally intimate, like really small. Like it's, it's an incredible talent he has, but it's also a craft. Like he talked to me about that, you know, about yes, there are, ta there are talents, but there, there are, there are processes or there are tricks that mm -hmm. you can do. And those things, those things can be learned to a degree, but we're all different. So Mark, Mark is Mark. Uh, yeah. And um, I, 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 I remember thinking at the time, God, I wish he did more film and TV so people could see how good he is. Yeah. And he did a film called Intimacy, which I think came out in about 2001 uh, yeah. and, uh, or something like 2002. And it, I remember watching that. And there's a bit where he's looking out the window. He's waiting for um, the lady to come and visit him. And he's just watching and watching. And I'm thinking... Oh man, how can you make just looking out of a window seem so compelling yeah. and well acted and genuine and real and relaxed and natural? You know, that feels like, what is it? I wonder what it said in the script, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, 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 half the time, people who I admire, I watch them and I think, I don't know how they did it. And, and often sometimes finding out how they work doesn't even help you. But it's certainly inspiring to try to be more truthful or different or interesting or yeah. uh, I suppose more truthful. Yeah. So what was, uh, if you can, you know, give one example of what are the things that you talked to Mark about and you were able to utilize as an actor afterwards in terms of uh, craft? Well, we talked about like when you get a script and you work on it on your own about mm. when you read a line of dialogue and you read it and you think oh, that doesn't feel natural that doesn't feel real and then you read it again you and this is the studying of the script that people refer to you know often it's i think it's very quiet contemplation that is, that is where the real benefit comes from mm -hmm. reading the line and connecting to it for yourself and saying it and feeling like you've got a connection to what you feel is truthful and that it's a small thing and then Mark said he'll take that way of saying it privately and small and he'll try and enlarge it, but feel for himself the connection to it. And then he'll try and do it like, so like throwing a small dart, then throwing a larger dart, then can I do it throwing a javelin? And can I still keep that feeling of connection I have when I'm reading it really small? I mean, that, that's, that's Mark's... That was that at the time was Mark's um, discussion with me about, or little nugget he shared with me about how he feels. Mm. I don't know if that relates, if anyone else made, that makes sense to them, but it certainly makes sense to me. There's a, something one of my drama teachers said to me, which was, um, 
there's a difference between finding an accent and finding a voice and placing a voice, yeah. which might sound like complete gibberish to, 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 to people, but I like doing accents. I like doing impressions and I like trying to transform and I like trying to make it really hard as well. If I, <laughs> um, but I, I kind of keep that thing that Mark said and the thing that Colin Cook, who's the drama teacher from Lambda, um, said to me about finding it rather than placing it. Because anybody can do a silly voice, which is a silly, you know, that isn't in your body, that isn't connected to something that's truthful. Um, and, and I don't mean, when I say truthful, I don't mean something that's very serious. I don't mean something that's very... I don't, don't, I don't want to misconstrue it and make it sound like it's um, an, a sort of unachieve, unachievable, ethereal thing, because mm-hmm. it's not. I don't think it is. I think it's, I think it's connecting to something truthful that means something to you. Mm-hmm. And, and finding a voice is really a physical thing, I think. It's a fi- Some people said to me, your voice is, you're really different. You speak really differently to when you play Bill. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, because... Uh, uh, he's called big bill and he comes from somewhere and he has a certain stature and a way. And, and I like keep, I like trying to keep myself light at work. Cause I'm often like you've seen, I, I can play, I have played quite a few yeah. dark things where people are quite wrung out and they're anxious and they're going through something traumatic. And actually if you're doing that on set, it's really, really tiring. If you think you've got to be tense and serious and concentrate all day that's just exhausting. And I've, I've done that. I've been through that. And actually what I found best for me is if I can just talk to my crewmates and my castmates and my directors and mess around and stay playful, uh, keep, keep making jokes. You know, I don't want to be closed off and in, in, in it's all about me and in my process. I want to be connected to people and making gags and like switch and say, I'll tell you the end of that joke. I've just got to do this take where I've gone and murder this guy and then we can talk about that. And it's the same on stage. I'd much rather be able to be in the wings yeah. chatting and goofing around and be like, just do this and then come back. Like it's a trick. It's a magic trick. And yes, there's a focus, but the playfulness and the lightness mm-hmm. is I think the most important thing to get to be real mm-hmm. in the moment when you make the illusion of whoever it is you're bringing. So mm-hmm. I've forgotten what your question was. No, no, no. I, I did as well. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're moving on. You're asking um, about Mark, I think. I think you're asking about Mark. Um, well, yeah, you. Uh, I was uh, talking about what works for you as an actor, and, and you've answered it. So I saw him. I saw him. I watched a rehearsal with the Heat where he did the get thee to a nunnery scene, which is a scene between Hamlet and Ophelia, where um, he he rejects her, and he and he has this line where he says, "You know, you nickname God's creatures." He's talking about women wearing makeup, and he's being really awful to Ophelia, and he's pushing her away. And I and 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 there was one rehearsal where I saw Mark do that incredibly quietly, mm-hmm. and then the next, literally the next time he did it, it was so big and loud, and I couldn't tell you which one was more ugly or terrifying, but I was just gobsmacked at how playful he seemed how light he seemed and, and and not just him and i'm really sorry i can't remember the name of the actress who was in the scene with him it was 19 years ago but um no 20 years ago um but um it was just it, it, that 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 just watching that was a really good lesson it was like 
be brave. You know, I, I, did a, I did a TV show. I've done a few TV shows, actually, with a lovely actor called David Ajala, who is currently in the new Star Trek series. And um, David and I were doing a show called Beowulf. And <laughs> we did the read-through and everybody, nobody really wanted to do the read-through. The director was like, let's get this out of the way. And I was like, oh, no, come on. It's going to be really fun. No, okay. I'm really nervous. And David got to his part and everyone's kind of mumbling a bit into the script. Unless somebody guides a read-through and says, guys, let's have some fun. People generally feel quite tense and like they might get judged. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, we got to David's part in the read-through and he's playing a king. And David stood up. He just stood up and banged his hands on the table and was like, I've arrived. And I was, everyone went, whoa. And uh, he's like that on set. He's playful. And he told me he got that from Heath Ledger because he did... Uh, the Dark Knight with, yeah. with Heath Ledger. And he said, you know, Heath just said, keep playing. And I was like, yeah, I've heard this. I hear this again and again and again from all the people I admire. Mm-hmm. Stay loose. But of course, when you're coming into the profession and you're playing whatever part you're playing, it's very easy to think you can't do that. Or, and sometimes there isn't time when you're shooting. You know, there isn't yeah. time to, to do. But just try and retain it in whatever capacity you can because... Yeah. It really, really helps. David's just, David is great. It's always lovely being on set with him. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, I remember reading Michael Caine's book and he was mm-hmm. saying, if, um, if you have a chance to not do an accent, don't do an accent. Uh, because doing an accent takes away, uh, uh, kind of limits your performance by mm-hmm. 10 or 20 or whatever percent. Mm-hmm. And I, I love doing accents. For me, it's a, it's a part of a role. When I read something, immediately the physicality of the person, kind of how they walk, what they feel like, yeah. and how they speak, all of these things just kind of start coming. And I want to do that because that's how I connect. Um, but, you know, I'm a Russian-speaking uh, person. That, that was my, that's my first language. So I had to do, um, I had to do scenes where I was uh, speaking Russian. Mm-hmm. In some scenes, no issues. In mm-hmm. some scenes... I felt, oops, okay, I didn't say that word correctly or the pronunciation was wrong and I was out yeah. of it. And that yeah. was the part where it was uh, like, no, 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 wrong accent. People are going to say something different. Like, so yeah. when you're doing accents, uh, do you ever find yourself watching or it's, um, I'm here, this is just how Bill talks or how Bill Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, the, the, the watching thing is an interesting thing. Well, it's something we got warned about at drama school. Um, mm-hmm. Again, Colin Cook, who was the head of drama there, said, you've got to keep your third eye on because it's going to keep you safe. You know, you can't go into something and be so totally consumed that you're not safe. And he he told us an example of an actress who would ran off stage in a play and she'd run right through a white picket fence and she'd cut her legs and she was off stage and she had no idea she'd done it. And he said, you guys have got to stay safe. And look, more than ever, if you're doing action sequences and action sequences on film yeah. is one thing, right? It, it's phenomenal. You film it in short burst. It's repetitive. There's all kinds of challenges there. That's one thing. If you do, if you, if you do action sequences on stage, mm-hmm. like the previews is one thing, press night, the amount of adrenaline that a cast, doesn't matter how experienced you are, has on press night is phenomenal. So if you do that and you've got to do a sword fight or something, it could be dangerous on stage. You've got to be able to have this eye watching. So the eye, and I don't discriminate between the eye that watches your accent and the eye that watches whether or not you're sticking a sword into the right place. 
or space at a particular time. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should. People, I don't think it's helpful to to sort of think we have to hide from the observance, and that if we if we are observing, we're somehow not in it, or yeah. it's not truthful mm-hmm. because because it's monitoring what we do, whether we feel, we watch, or we just intuit. Like it's a weird dance where you do lots and lots of work. And then I can only really take care of my part. If you and I are doing a scene now, I can't really, really worry about what you've done to prep. I hope you've learned your lines and I've learned my lines. And when we get to do it, I'm hopefully going to be able to, we're going to have a conversation, Mm -hmm. but you might not feel that you can play. You might feel like I've learned it one way. I want it one way. Now I could come in and think that's just ridiculous. What's yeah, I, I, that's terrible. That's, that's an opinion that is irrelevant. Like if you, you want to do it your one way, that's the way you want to do it. Mm-hmm. I can, I can to a degree play my side. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you get to work and you've done all that prep, your eyes watching and your co-star will do something that is different to what you might have imagined. And then you talk with something that in a way that you hadn't conceived or studied or thought about. And then you find that you're just, it's working and you don't know why it's different, but you feel, and then you're feeling it. And it, and it, I had a couple of scenes like that with Tom Weston Jones on warrior, very emotional, high fraught scenes where you finish and you think, wow, that, that was completely different and it felt amazing and you feel like something else took over. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, and that feels like magic. Mm-hmm. Now, it might not be better than when you're doing it and your eyes going, you got, you said the vowel wrong. <laughs> you said, you know, I, I playing, um, playing Bill, I had, so many notes. I worked with this accent coach called Maeve Diamond, who's from Ireland. Um, and she's fabulous. And we really enjoyed working together um, and breaking it down. But like she said, don't get obsessed with the intonation and don't get obsessed with getting it right. And uh, I mean, Michael Caine saying that, yeah, okay, that's one opinion. And maybe for Michael, that's true. And, and, and there probably is truth in that. But say that to Peter Sellers, like, you know what I mean? Like, or anyone else who frequently does that. I mean, I, I understand exactly what Michael Caine is saying, but I would say having played a lot of characters myself where I do different accents, mm-hmm. I do then crave doing something that's closer to mine. I did an audition this week for something, for a character that's set in the North, North, Northwest of England. Mm-hmm. I'm from the Northeast, but because I come from Hartlepool, sometimes at the end of my accent, there's a little lilt, which can make it sound like I'm from Liverpool. Sometimes it sounds a little bit like I'm from the West Coast, but I'm not, I'm from the North. But then sometimes when I'm North, people don't think, they think I sound South because I've been living in London for 20 years. Anthony Hopkins said this thing about accents, which was people's accents merge, they change. Don't worry about being overly prescriptive and specific. People might criticize the performance. Like a guy said to me, I really like you playing Bill. Your accent's pretty good. And I said, oh, thanks. He said, it goes a bit East Coast, West Coast though. And I said, 
That's because Bill's mum was from the east, but his dad was from the west and he grew up in the house, but he's also been in America for about 20 years. But yeah, and he went, really? And I went, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It says that in my book, in my notes, well, it does now anyway, but I, I, people's accents merge. People like to have a strong opinion on, on whether or not that is truthful or not. And I think as actors, it, it's really easy to get, um, tense yeah. over obsessed with perf being perfect mm -hmm. um i come from this little town called hartlepool and it's about 45 to an hour's 45 minutes to an hour's drive of a, of a city called newcastle mm -hmm. in the northeast where people who come from newcastle are called geordies and it's a very broad accent now yeah. people down south when they meet me go oh you're a geordie and i'm like I come from nearly an hour away from there and I don't really sound like that at all. But to those people I do, and like, I don't mind, it doesn't bother me, but like all my friends always, when they call me up, they go, I'll reach Kieran, I'll reach mate. They, and some people, when I become, when I make new friends, they do it and they go, I'm sorry, I don't know why I do that. And I'm like, that's all right. I, I don't know. I like, it's, it's a funny thing people do. And so when I, when I play an accent, so, Let's talk about Bill, because it probably helps to be specific. Yeah, yeah. Bill, when he talks to Leary, I always wanted him to feel more like, if I call my mum, my Northeastern accent comes back. So when he's talking to Leary, he's, he's, and when he's talking to Penelope, yeah. he, he, he does this little thing where he slightly merges. Not just because Bill has an accent that I can play with and do that with, but because Bill is a manipulator, he's a liar. Mm -hmm. Yep. A lot of actors can merge to people, please. Mm. You know, whether that's conscious or subconscious, well, not just actors, but people can merge accents to make another person feel comfortable or copy body language and all kinds of things. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that's a bad, that's a bad thing. Some people might say, oh, look at, some, someone said to me once when I was, went back home from Jarmusville, listen to him saying his T's because people just drop their T's where I'm from. And, and I was like, that's, that's a weird thing to say, but. Um, I guess I just sounded like I was talking posh, mm. but I, I, I enjoy changing Bill's emphasis depending mm. on who he's with. Just for me, I don't, I don't tell anyone I'm doing it. I just, that's mm. my thing. I, I've discovered that I don't need to tell people the detail I'm messing around with because otherwise I'll hurt their head. Yes. That's because I'm obsessive, not because it's necessary for the job. I mm. wouldn't say that's necessary to be an actor, but that is who what I'm like. So yeah. Interesting. Um, I also, I loved, you know, going back to Warrior, I loved when uh, you said that you really enjoy um, kind of making uh, the Lee's character, Thomas, you really enjoy making him laugh before takes, <laughs> which, which I thought was, uh, was funny. It's so, really, I have to say, that's, that's not actually, that's a mean thing to do because Tom as yeah. well is a, a guy who's also working on his process and... Mm -hmm uh listen there were times when i absolutely left him alone and i we we we've got a really great friendship and it's very similar to bill and lee mm -hmm. um the best bits of bill and lee yeah um, not, not the manipulative parts yeah. no no in that we really in that we really recognized on a day-to-day -day basis whether each of us needed backing up a bit of space yeah or or or, or listening to when we're blocking or working something out and saying i think this is important or that's important mm -hmm. Like uh, really, really lovely working with him. And, but yes, given an opportunity, I will try and make a joke 
mainly to kind of like keep it playful, uh, but also just because it's just a nicer way, it's a nicer environment to work in. Yeah. But of course, like if, if we've got something serious, you know, I think you, you've always got to be conscious to be respectful of someone else's time and process. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, otherwise. Um, talking about that, and here, you know, uh, from the Facebook group, I love our Facebook group on, uh, uh, there are a couple of Facebook groups on, uh, on Facebook yep. uh, that, that are specifically warrior. And uh, some of the questions are from folks for you. So I'm going to, you know, since we're talking about. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll so, try, listen, I'll try and give shorter answers because otherwise we'll just end up chatting and I'll, it'll be like sprawling anecdotes that um, I am short good. answers. Yeah. Um, whatever <laughs> answers you want to give are perfect. All right. Okay. So uh, Raghu uh, Sitharaman says the dynamic between you and Officer Richard Lee, played by Tom Weston Jones, is so good. Will we get to see your character and Richard Lee make amends? And I mean, we can't spoil anything that happens in uh, in episode ten. Yeah. So um, I don't know how you can answer that, but I promised I was going to read the question. So there you go. We used to joke on set that. Um, Bill and Lee were going to end up living in the same house like Bert and Ernie from, uh, <laughs> from uh, Sesame Street. But um, uh, yeah, I can't answer that because that would be a spoiler for episode 10 mm. or it would give you an indication of the narrative that might happen. But um, what I would say is from Bill's perspective that Lee initially represents everything he hates or it's just the worst possible person to put next to Bill because Bill is a liar and a manipulator and, mm. and Lee is a truth teller and mm -hmm. uh, Lee is like a bomb next to him constantly watching or like a child that's going to suddenly tell everybody your secrets when you don't want them to. Yeah. So, but he also kind of represents, I think Bill recognizes how far his own personal moral compass has shifted because of Lee and how much damage the system has done. And so Lee, I like to think Lee is having, has been having an mm -hmm. awakening effect on Bill. I think so. And, and it's pulling him closer towards him sorting his act out. Yeah. That doesn't I mean, answer your question because I can't answer it. So sorry. Right. The, the one thing that we can mention, and it's not like I have no insider information, but the one thing that we can mention is that we saw the preview for episode 10. So we do see, uh, you know, Lee handing in his badge. Uh, That's right. So we do see that. And that you know, mm -hmm. maybe answers a little bit. Um, so Derek is asking a question. Uh, how you feel the character of Bill has evolved over the past two seasons. You answered a little bit of it now. Mm -hmm. And in which scenes, if any, did you ever personally feel at odds with the actions that Bill took? Yeah, no shorter answer to that one. I think, I mean, he, when, he, when you meet him, he, he's, he get, he, at the very beginning of the series, he's given the job of being sergeant of the Chinatown squad, which he, is the worst job for him possible because he goes to Chinatown Mm -hmm. for his vices that's where he goes and Jonathan Tropper and I talked about this and he said look Bill might be a drunk and a gambler and you might bend the law and do these things but the one thing you won't do is violate his marriage vows so that was really helpful for me in the respect that I I looked at him as a guy that had a drink problem and a drug pro and a gambling problem mm -hmm. and more apparently maybe a gambling problem to everybody and I would say Bill knows he has a gambling problem, but Bill absolutely doesn't think he has a drink problem. And so 
all of his lying and manipulating, he's a guy who is suffering. And I, I wanted that to kind of quietly rumble along. It, it's not, I asked them early on about what they wanted me to do because the character was called Big Bill. And I was like, what do you want? Do you want me to lift weights? I had a little bit of time. I was like, do you want me to get stacked? Do you want me to be another fighter for Assam? Or what, what is the function of the character? And they went, just, he's just, he's just Big Bill. So I said, yeah, but that could mean anything. It could mean stature. It could mean, uh, you know, something you don't see. It could mean um, lots of things. Yeah, is there anything it, you can do to prep them before they audition? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of clever things they can do with CGI. But I, I, I took it that it was stature and it was more about influence and impact. Mm -hmm. But also, this is a guy that is not well. Um, and he's suffering and he's going through things. And so I basically said, look, I'm going to eat loads of food and I'm going to put weight on. So I, I delivered and I said, I want to grow a beard. They wanted me to be clean shaven. And I said, look, I, I, I'd really rather have a beard. And then what I'd like to do is just like, you see this guy getting worse and worse and worse slowly. And Brad, Brad Callow-Kane in season two was like, dude, your beard is getting out of control. I was like, good, good. I want to be a wreck. He's a... There were definitely takes I did where I think he's more of a wreck than perhaps they wanted me to be seen. Like there's a time when I have a go at Lee in the lockers and at that moment when he says, it was you, Bill, it was you. I, I definitely did a take where I was like basically having a complete nervous breakdown, but then covering it up or try, try, trying, to, trying to go for that anyway. Um, and um, Bill, so Bill... Bill is, Bill is constantly aware of his shifting moral compass and that the line is shifting and shifting. And whether or not I'm at odds with any of it, I mean, I'm not sure what that means, really. Does that mean what I disagree with in him? Yeah. Do I? Because I, think, yeah, that's I don't think Bill knows he's a racist. He's a racist person. Hmm. You know, and he is yeah. being racist. I mean, I don't agree with the behavior. I can't condone his behavior, but I know that... He, he absolutely does not want to kill Jack Damon. He would much rather manipulate Leary into killing Damon for him than actually do it. And then when it gets to the point and Leary says, he's going to come and kill your kids if you don't do it, and I'm not going to do it, Bill has to do it. And this is something I talked about with the guys about the history of who Bill was. He's killed people before. He's killed people in the war. He's been a cop. Yeah. But he's never done that so explicitly what he did and he knows he's out of control he knows he's completely wrecked so i hope that goes some way to answering your question he's 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 having a huge rock bottom right in front of everybody yeah and lee has been the last after his wife and kids left he's been the last tangible thing next to him that's probably going to pull him and i somebody asked me the other day what do you think was going to happen to bill in season 3 and i said i hope he gets I hope he gets worse. I hope he gets darker. I hope it, I, what I'd like to see is like him try and get better and try and sober up and try and be better. Yeah. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. And so I, I, I wouldn't want it to be like a sort of rosy thing where suddenly Bill's, no. I don't think that would be real. Yeah. But then I, you know, that's me judging it. I don't, I don't know. I'd just love to see what they get, what they come up with, you know, the mm. guys. We do try and influence them. We do sort of say, be really nice if Bill went to Mexico or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, six was awesome. Well, we all want to be in Western, so we're all like, can we get our, can we all go on a Western next year? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can we get can we ride horses? 
Absolutely. Uh, Derek also wanted to know, uh, in episode nine, you, you watched it for the fourth time by now, it's probably more than that. So oh. in episode nine, uh, ask, uh, ask uh, Kieran if he accidentally got hurt during the two seasons of the show, uh, and if so, how? Did I accidentally get hurt? <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember now is the answer to that. Okay. I had, I had um, um, during the whole of season one, Mm-hmm. I had a torn psoas muscle in my left mm-hmm. hip glute, yeah. uh, which was incredibly painful all the time. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't help that I committed to the idea that I was going to put more weight on for the role. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then being, you know, I'm 40 now. So like losing weight used to be really easy. And, and, and I thought oh, it'd be really easy to put weight on for a character and lose it. And it was mm-hmm. not as fun as I heard it would be. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I cut my hands on things. I didn't get any injuries like I have in the past. I've, I've, I've broken ribs on set before and I've done stuff, but I, yeah. I also brought, I, I broke my back a few years ago in an accident. And so I have a spinal fusion. So I, I'm very careful about what action I do do. And of course I do do some of the stuff, but Brett and the team were very careful to look after my personal injury and make sure I'm okay. It, uh, and so Mark, who, was my stunt double. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where Tom Weston Jones and I have a disagreement in the police station and Mark actually took a hit from me from Tom. Now Tom Weston Jones, before we did Warrior played Hector in a TV, BBC TV adaptation of Troy and was stacked and put so much muscle on, but Tom also used to play rugby. So Tom can really tackle. And there's a bit where he tackles Bill and then dumps me on the ground and my stuntman Mark he took such a bad hit on that. Tom's very strong. Um, so thankfully, thankfully I was okay. This, I, I think, I think I was okay. I was a little bit, I had to do a lot of running for the opening of season two. Um, you'll see I'm running after a debt collector and then I pull him off the wall and be lying on the yeah. ground. Yeah. We filmed so much running all over the Chinatown set. It was going to be like an extended sequence and it was sort of punctuated with me swearing like, every 60 yards, uh, every six yards or so. So it was like, <laughs> and there was like a dog chasing me and everything. Yeah. But the guys thought, I think it, it was too humorous in the end. So they cut it down. But I did about four hours of running. So um, <laughs> that's but, nothing compared to what everyone else did. Yeah, but I love that at the end, you know, when, uh, when Bill is laying there, he's, he's like, oh God, you know, you made me do this. I, I'm really unhappy with you. No, I pun- yeah, because I punched him and said, that's for making me run. That was an ad lib. Mm-hmm. That was an ad lib. Oh, that was? Awesome. <laughs> yes, because I said that's for making me run because I just spent about four hours running on cobbled streets. Listen, Perfect. I love my job and I don't mind, but uh, it was great. It was, it, it, you always know when you film that you're not going to, you don't get to, you know, you don't get to edit it. You, you, as an actor, you, you go to work and you can really do homework. You have to do your homework and you film what you film. But really you're giving like a palette to the mm-hmm. directors and the editors to make the thing. That's, I have a lot of friends, I have some friends who say they don't watch what they make because it, they, it's too painful for them to watch it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I understand that, I do get that. But I watch what I make because I'm not the only person making it and I don't know what they're gonna do. And I'm always, I'm always excited and pleased to see what people have put together. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, Sam, Sam Jackson, uh, when, when the people asked him if he watches uh, what he's in, he's like, yeah, and this is Sam Jackson. He said, 
fuck yes. You know, this is why I make the movies so I can watch myself on them. Absolutely, I'm doing it. I always wanted to be in Deadwood and I always wanted to be in a Western. I used to watch loads of Westerns and stuff. So why would I not watch when I'm the yeah. sheriff of Chinatown? And, the, and he's the sheriff, you know, like that, yeah. they go to work. I've got a gun holster. Yeah. And when I have rehearsals, I always make sure I've got my holster and my gun and all my props because I like to use them in the scenes. And, yeah. and, and I, I like it as well. This is something that comes from like doing stuff at drama school where you've got a sword and they will say, make sure you wear it because you're going to find out what you hit with it when you walk around. And so it's yeah. the same thing with any kind of prop you have on a set as well. So, but wearing a, a holster, we're literally playing cowboys and Indians or, you know, cops and robbers. And, yeah. and it, it, it really is. It, I think it should be like that. You keep it playful. Keep it light. Yeah. yeah. And I heard you mention that you, as a part of your acting process, you love uh, the props and you love things that you can actually you know, touch and you can, you can work with that yeah. allow you to, uh, to live in the scene. Uh, I, yeah. I certainly understand. It's a joke as well. It's also a joke. You know, I'm ruined without my props. Okay. It's a joke about being exposed. Like if you don't have props, what do you do? Well, oh God, no, I feel really vulnerable. Like you should feel vulnerable at work. I think, I yeah. think actors, I think actors should, should get themselves to a position where they do feel vulnerable and creative. Cause I think that's when the best stuff happens. But yeah, if you've got, um, in real life, people are normally doing things, mm. you're doing things, and it can really free up from the over, in, the, mm. it, can, it can help with the naturalism when you've got stuff that feels quite intense and stuff that feels very direct yeah. and very, maybe very written. I'm not saying it's not, things aren't well written, but like it's just watch people in real life you're just you just took a drink and exactly. we, this is my problem yeah yeah now now you've got to think about that though because if you're in a rehearsal and you're shooting on camera I know. you, you know you've got to think about it, and then you've got to repeat it and from every angle so you and then also when you put it down yeah. you do it on a word then you're gonna to have to do adr like there's, th there's things that like I mean, you can really mess your head up with like, how many things can I have to think about and how many, like what juggles 10 balls, I'm going to add four more. Yeah. But, but um, there's a scene where Tom and I, I think it's in episode two, where he comes to see me at the locker. Yes, it is because it's, I'm changing at the locker, getting out of my muddy clothes, having fallen mm. on the ground. Mm. And the camera follows us from the locker room to the corridor, to the spree station, to my desk, to the coffee, to back to my desk. And we did it about, I think we did it about eight times and it's all choreographed, yeah. but, we, we, but we did that with uh, Dale Rodkin, who's our uh, Steadicam B camera operator. Mm -hmm. The guys, the tech, the guys, the, the, you know, you really get to know your camera operators and your team really, really well. And your focus puller too as well. Archie mm -hmm. did an amazing job because if we, if we, if we're not in sync, we don't know where each other are, then it doesn't work. But if we have an over awareness of where they are you will see that on the camera yep you've got to hide that you're aware that you're aware that you're not you've got to hide that you're monitoring and that for me is the most exciting part of my job it's like hiding how well can you hide yeah. that you're actually thinking a million things yeah so if you add on top of that that you have to genuinely feel everything i mean it's like keep that third eye watching like yeah. make friends with it i'd say you know interesting and yeah. then, uh, you know, one thing that you've mentioned on the Instagram live that people may not know and you may get in trouble for is that you said you kept your, your phone in your boot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
no. Um, yeah, well, I've done an awful lot of uh, jobs where yeah. I've had, for some reason, I've had very long boots. <laughs> I've had very high boots. And, and they're really good for just sticking a, I, a well, any kind of phone, just yep. down there, yep. hopefully off or on silent. The work, I mean, you don't really, you, you shouldn't really have your phone on set and uh, distract, but it is the modern age. And uh, sometimes, I mean, I, I, I remember having, uh, I, when we were filming the opening of episode six, season one, and it's the Chinatown parade. And I think on my Instagram, there's a video of us back behind the scenes filming that. Uh, this is way too much talk about a phone on set. Uh, the reason I had my phone is because I was having to organize flights home and I couldn't get it organized. And I was actually on hold to a large airline company trying to sort out a simple thing of getting a flight. And it was, <laughs> so that's my excuse. Anyway, um, don't yeah, mention I, the phone, man. <laughs> I, I can, I can, I can just imagine you're on the phone with a, a air, airline operator saying, "Excuse me, I need to do a tape. I'll be right back with." That's you. exactly what I said. There was a moment when I said to him, "He said, he said to me, I'm really sorry, sir, about your inquiry. I'm sorry we're having trouble, but um, I don't really know what I was trying to do." He said, uh, "Can, um, but I might have to place you on hold for a moment, and you might have to wait." I said, "Well, just so I can let you know, if you hear some loud roaring riotous crowd." and you have to wait for a bit. That's just me putting you on hold. And he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, you're gonna have to just, just, I will come back, but yeah. you might hear some explosions. Yeah. It's, everything's fine. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, um, Kieran, it's, uh, it's been a joy. I, I, I wanna talk to you for three more hours, but uh, I, oh, your, your wife, your cat, and everybody's gonna be mad at me. So, um, <laughs> uh, Happy, I think they say happy Christmas uh, in UK, right? Or is it Merry Christmas? We say both. Ah, okay. Yeah. Whatever you like. Yeah, Merry happy Christmas. Merry. Uh, and I know people are going to be watching us from all over the world. So however you say it, uh, folks, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed my time. I'm looking forward to, uh, to watching at 10 tomorrow. And uh, then, uh, you know, talking to Joanna and uh, Perry next week. So, Kieran, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really, My really pleasure. Thanks, Alan. It's lovely to chat. Thank you. And uh, everybody, please stay safe. Please, uh, you know, take this holiday season and do what you can to make it as merry as possible because the 2020 really is forcing us to come up with our own sense of joy and let's let's do that and end the year safely so thanks everybody okay